Hello, everybody. My name is Stella. Welcome to episode three of the Mercuranians podcast. Today is Monday, March 21st, and it is 4.51 p.m. I'm currently sitting with a Virgo rising chart. What about yourself, Cam? Uh, yep, I have one degrees of Libra rising, and that means we are ready to get into our third episode on the social planets we have been just dying to get this episode out this was a really really fun discussion and we had a lot of great points before we even synthesized it together so i'm looking forward to today totally um i think these two planets have a lot of nuance to them and i think just looking at them in context of each other gives an interesting perspective to kind of approach them from they're kind of forgotten a lot by modern astrologers because kind of the inner planets get so much hype and then everyone wants to talk about the outer planets like Uranus and Neptune and Pluto but there's a lot of um, like I said nuance and understanding how these planets function and what their archetypes mean and I think just having a nice discussion about them in context of each other is um, just a great way to get into analyzing them. Yeah, definitely. And similarly to the inner planets episode where we talked about Mercury, Venus, and Mars and how they really should be looked at together in a natal chart, the social planets are very similar. Um, honestly, you can't take anything in a natal chart out of context and have it produce a beautiful, finely detailed image. But these in particular, this is a great grouping. Yeah. Um, and I think it's great for us to kind of start here because it makes such a natural transition point in the solar system after we talk about Mars, because that's where the asteroid belt is. And symbolically, kind of what this represents is this division in between where like our personal energy field stops and then where we start to kind of interact with the other people in our lives. And so Jupiter and Saturn kind of step in and represent this social boundary between the self kind of integrating with interactions of other people. And I think it makes a lot of sense because um, after the asteroid belt, there's a huge gap in um, the distance between Mars and Jupiter and like their orbital lengths, for instance, Mars takes about two years to go around the Zodiac um, and Jupiter takes 12. So just from that alone, we're automatically seeing how the difference between uh, Jupiter and from there on out, those planets have an automatically hugely generational influence on the context of understanding the chart. Absolutely, absolutely. And not only that, but their interactions with other placements in the natal chart can show you your interactions with society and those around you. It can tell you so much about the bigger picture as well. And this is before we reach the limit of our sights, where we start getting into the outer planets. This is everything that you can see and keep track of consciously. But how is it going to be integrated? How are you going to be integrated? Is that something you're going to want to do and try for? Or is that something you're going to kind of rebel against and dislike? And that's something that these outer planets can add like much sight into. I mean, oh my gosh, social planets. <gasps> Mercury is still in Pisces. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think you know, in this context of like a psychological interpretation of what these planets are doing, um, it's it's really our gateway into understanding how we show up in our communities, in our um, friend groups, in our social relationships. Um, these planets are going to give a, a clue into um, seeing how we fit into the larger whole. And 
you know, from the context of traditional astrology, though, these planets were the greater benefic and the greater malefic. So they weren't looked at as much in this kind of social context, as much as they were seen as these outer barriers of the solar system, because when we reach Jupiter and Saturn here, what's from the eyes of an, you know, a lay person 2000 years ago, these were the outermost limits of the solar system. So this built up the end of the planetary spheres um, through the sixth and seventh, seventh planets, Jupiter and Saturn. So in a way, um, these were kind of the, the extent of the tools uh, in terms of visible bodies that the ancient astrologers used to interpret the charts. And that's kind of changed the whole understanding um, psychologically and archetypally of how those planets have been interpreted now that we've kind of discovered a lot more bodies in the solar system. Yeah, definitely. And just speaking of like multiple bodies, I think that the fact that Jupiter and Saturn have so many moons can also kind of speak to the fact that they are very social planets and cover a lot of different areas of life. And, you know, there are like entire branches of astrology dedicated to like of identifying the archetypes and nuances within Jupiter and Saturn based on the positions of their moons. Um, most commonly, fractal astrology. That's not something we're going to be getting into today, but if anybody in the audience is curious about that topic, I recommend looking into it more. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think another interesting gateway into understanding just the archetypes of these planets on their own is thinking about the mythological hierarchy that we're kind of talking about once we reach Jupiter and Saturn here. So after Mars, who was Ares, the god of war, Jupiter is Zeus, who was the king of the Olympian pantheon. And so he resided sort of above all of the other planets, which makes sense because Jupiter's sphere is beyond all of the other planetary spheres um, up to that length. And then after that, we have Saturn, who was Kronos. And that was the father of Jupiter, who was the father of the Titans. And so Saturn um, represents this force that is just one level above the entire Olympian pantheon. And so it's really interesting to kind of keep in mind Saturn's grasp over Jupiter and his domain of the gods, and really how Saturn is this figure that is like just a level above that of um, the entire realm of the mythological uh, pantheon of the Greeks, because um, just thinking of Saturn's period, it's 30 years compared, compared to Jupiter's 20 years. So there's a huge uh, gap in between just those two planets alone. Right. Yeah, definitely. And for anybody who might not necessarily know, um, Saturn is also known as Kronos. And in mythology, Zeus um, just so happened to be the child who overthrew Kronos. And Kronos had a prophecy that he would be killed by one of his children. So he decided from that point on that he would be eating all of his kids. He didn't kill them. He didn't dismember them. He just trapped them in his stomach and I mean I don't know if somebody told me that my kids were gonna murder me I might consider not having kids I don't can't say I would eat them but I would consider not having children anyways that was a digression um so upon hearing this prophecy Kronos decides to eat all of his kids and then Rhea um Kronos's wife at the time she hid Zeus away gave Kronos a pebble instead and Zeus grew up and then lived to overthrow his father, who is now 
It, it kind of differs depending on um, whether or not it's an Orphic or Pindar poem. But Orphic poems say that he's trapped away in Tartarus for all of eternity. And then Pindar poems say that he's now crowned the king of Elysium by Zeus. So he has his own separate domain and he's kept away from Olympus. So this discussion of mythology is bringing to mind something I was just reading recently in a book called Postcolonial Astrology, which is written by um, an author named Alice Sparkly Cat. And in this book, they kind of explore how the archetypes of the planets have changed um, throughout the time and how our cultures and our races have kind of influenced and kind of gotten in the way of us understanding what the root of these meanings might have been. And an example they give early on in the book is about how in Roman times, they dreamed of this kind of golden age, which was ruled by Saturn. They dreamed of this like Saturnian era in the distant past, kind of like the good old days where essentially um, everyone lived on their own farms. They farmed their own food, cultivated and raised their own animals. And there wasn't any kind of hierarchical structure or government or authority ruling over like a community. It was just independent farms and families kind of living on their own. And it's so interesting in contrast now how Saturn has been um, morphed to the opposite of that, representing a figure that is um, controlling and in charge of everything, as opposed to back then where the signification of Saturn being something isolated or distant or alone Represent, represented the ideal state of things where it was like, oh, we should be independent and on our own and like making our own food. Right. And as society evolves, um, of course, archetypes are going to evolve with them. But I think it's really relevant here that, I mean, with independence, it comes responsibility. If you're completely independent and self-reliant, you're farming your own food. That takes a lot of hard work and a lot of responsibility. And so, but that that's a pleasurable thing in that case, because you're not being um pawned by these higher powers in government offices and whatever it may be. Today, that's a little bit different. And I mean, with Saturn and Capricorn specifically, I hear a lot of like capitalism kind of talks like, oh, Capricorns are the bosses. Like if anybody's going to be a CEO, it's going to be a Capricorn. And I just think that that really speaks to what you just said about how these archetypes evolve with society, but it might not always be for the best of interpretation and delineation. So use discretion as you research further about the social planets or anything in astrology, really. Discretion is essential. Yeah, there's always- Pattern, take it with a grain of salt. Right, there you go. Um, I, I mentioned that in another episode. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I think there's always context to explore um, any kind of interpretation from, just because astrology's kind of whole principle is that it's, you know, it's indeterminate. We're making our own meaning from these symbols. And so- but it's just super fascinating to me to think about how they idealized freedom as a Saturnian theme. And now we idealize freedom as the opposite of that, which we'll kind of get into uh, in this episode about being more Jupiter. Now, now we see freedom and growth and independence is a Jupiterian thing. And now Saturn is this restrictive controlling force that we want to like get rid of. 
Right. And, you know, Jupiter and Saturn, um, like aspects to one another in a natal chart, those can be really like great. But when they're in each other's signs, that can be a little tricky to manage um, because Jupiter and Saturn are such powerful entities. That's like if you have the rulers of two kingdoms collaborating to solve an issue, let's say there's a famine or a drought swapping through their whole region, they might be collaborating to resolve that issue. But if you take the ruler of one kingdom and you place him under orders of another ruler that might cause some tension and that might cause some areas of difficulty yeah um and i think just another interesting thing about how we're kind of talking about like two kings at battle um is this idea from that was developed in the medieval period by um, arabian astrologers um of studying periods and lengths of time um through the lens of the jupiter saturn cycle because for them like i was saying earlier these were the further most um bodies in the solar system so these were the um essentially the biggest demarcators of time and chunks of history was seeing the outer planet alignments of jupiter and saturn and when they made a conjunction or when they made an opposition or anything in between basically um they have a 20 year long cycle where they'll reconjoin in a sign of the same element every 20 years. And essentially, if you've seen a zodiacal wheel before, all the same elements are make a triangle on the wheel. So they're basically meeting in this triangular pattern. And over time, that triangle is rotating so that every 200 years, it shifts into a new element. So the, the elegance of the design of the Jupiter-Saturn cycle, um, making this super geometric and um, just Stable. really perplexing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a really stable system, the way it's kind of like slowly rotating through the wheel over really long periods of time. It just goes to show how there's so much elegance that's designed in the whole system and also how um, there is a really unique way to look at um, periods of time. And it's through these Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions. They're also called great conjunctions. And we actually just had one in 2020. And if you're wondering about why the energy feels so different than just a few years ago, this uh, this conjunction is kind of the one of the main reasons of that, in addition to the Saturn-Pluto conjunction that happened in January of 2020, which kind of initiated the whole pandemic. There were a whole bunch of outer planets that aligned up in Capricorn. Um, but then in December, we had a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction at exactly zero degrees in Aquarius. And this was just super cool because it's not just like a 20-year alignment. Um, but this was actually the complete triplicity shift or an element shift into a new element. So this was initiating us into a new 200 year period. And if we want to talk about how that energy feels now, the last Jupiter Saturn conjunction was in Taurus and that sign's ruled by Venus. So everything's going to feel nice and easy. Now Saturn is in charge for the next 20 years, at least. So you can already feel the weight and the difference of that energy just compared to a few years ago. So where will the next conjunction take place do you know so they'll all be in the air triplicity i'm pretty sure the next one's happening in libra and then after that it'll happen in gemini so it goes like backwards through the ele elements so okay. like when they were going in earth signs it would go like capricorn virgo taurus I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure i'm not 100 sure sometimes it might skip or do double but right the, okay i was just wondering i don't know the yeah i don't know the answer to that question um so I had a couple like different comparisons for Jupiter and Saturn as planets. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's really, 
I feel like it should make sense that Jupiter talks and Saturn listens. Um, I have the analogy that Jupiter is a tsunami wave and I have Saturn as a hurricane. So with that tsunami wave, I mean, it could be applied in a negative context, Jupiter's energy, where you just have this like rush of energy and it's hard, it's fast, it's done. It starts with a deep rumble under the ocean somewhere. And it's this enormous surge of energy that just goes for miles and miles inland. And then Saturn, contrarily, is gonna be a hurricane. And so hurricanes are just ultimate tests of structure and endurance in any city, society, whatever it may be. Every single window, every house, every building will be put to an extreme test and it's going to last for days and days and days. And so that just kind of contrasts um, Jupiter and Saturn a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think just the idea of the duration there, like a tidal wave is just like one and done. It's destructive and it's huge and it's overwhelming, but it's pretty quick compared to like a hurricane can last like a week or more sometimes. So it's like big difference in just seeing the time scale there. And that kind of speaks to what we were saying about, you know, Jupiter is 12 years, Saturn is 30, you know. So we have like three Jupiter returns almost by the time we have our first Saturn return. Right, right. And you're in, in both cases, there's going to be feet and feet of water that's going to have to very slowly make its way back out into the ocean and out of land before things kind of settle back into normal. So these are just very long, very strongly influential energies. Yeah. Whereas like Mercury could be like a tornado that's even quicker, you know, like it's going to come in be super destructive but the effects of that you know the rubbish the rubble rubble rubbish garbage what am i saying um that's all going to be still there but like the effects of that visually you know the tornado will be gone but like that water like you said can take a long time to to um, disappear um so the other thing i've kind of written about um jupiter and saturn and thinking about how their energies contrast each other um and saturn is often called like the lord of karma in a way so during a hard Saturn transit, or if you have Saturn activated as your time lord, um, it's going to be a time where, you know, karma is going to show up. So it's going to bring um, conflicting energies to kind of kill things off so that new things can grow because Saturn really rules that kind of death in a way and its symbol is like a scythe. So it represents that time where, you know, things are going to die so they can be like repurposed for a better use, you know, like food, we, you know, are going to cut the wheat, but then we can use it to make bread, right? Um, and so in that way, when Saturn comes through for our karma, it's going to come in and shed all of the old stuff so that we can focus on our dharma, which is kind of like what Jupiter is. So our dharma is like our life um, mission or our life's work or what we're going to dedicate ourselves to, to um, aspire to a goal or um, kind of have uh, an aspiration for our future and our growth in a way. Um, whereas the karma is kind of like the moving bits in between that lets us get there. Saturn is going to clear everything out so that we can pinpoint ourselves towards growth, which is really what Jupiter is all about. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that definitely speaks to their significations in many, many ways. Um, even just the idea of like some people believe in past life karma, um, the idea of choices you make, like 
carrying into your next life and like that event of like having a new life might be like a Jupiterian experience something being born something coming into the world and then like but there's still that like baggage of karma but then thinking about the difference between like karma and dharma it also reminds me of the difference between the figures in the bible between the old and new testament so in the old testament we had this really um, violent wrathful angry kind of old god which was a saturn figure and then by the new testament we have a new god which was um, jesus essentially and he acts as like a jupiter figure and it's actually like a like a part of the mythology that jesus was a pisces because pisces is the fish and Jesus' symbol is the fish, like the fisher of men and the, the symbol of the ichthys, which is like this fish, like it's a Greek acronym that means fish. If you've ever seen that symbolism, Jesus is supposed to embody the Pisces archetype, which is like, you know, the most, you know, spiritual connected, whatever kind of new agey terms of Pisces. Um, he is an archetype for that in a way. And also contrasts to the wrathful old God, the Saturnian God of the Old Testament too. So I just thought that was another interesting contrast between those archetypes and how that's even permeated into the um, Catholic canon, Christian, right. Judaic canon. It's, it's, it's all of religion's histories that embody these archetypes. Yeah, definitely. And you know, that, that also makes me think of how like Jupiter and Saturn both have to do with teaching where you have this like balance between like guidance and like discipline and like both concern sharing knowledge and there being structure behind it but it's this relationship between the two somebody needs to be able to tell you no and somebody needs to be able to tell you yes good job mm -hmm. and so that's really interesting when you bring in these dichotomies that tie into like monotheistic religions as well where like we and specifically christianity where we had um like the old god who was more of a no kind of energy and then Jesus being this new God and spreading the word of God. Mm -hmm. But I would like to say we are not endorsing nor um, bashing any any religion here. Yeah, we're no, just, we're just bringing up the symbolism. Yeah. Do you want to uh, start with Jupiter? Uh, yeah, why don't we get into it? Um, so Jupiter is a diurnal planet. It's of the diurnal sect, and he's called the greater benefic. He's generally masculine in gender, and he's also hot and wet. So this gives us a few interesting principles to kind of start off of. Um, I think one of the interesting things is his temperament here being hot and wet, which is similar to Venus. And both of these planets being benefic planets or planets that are able to produce positive or good things in our lives um, have these significations of being warm and also wet. And like we talked about in the last episode, how that makes the conditions for life to thrive and grow. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, Jupiter is technically like the greater benefic, but again, that does kind of factor into a personal chart interpretation with sect. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it really only came out of the distinction between Saturn and Jupiter being greater, just by the f nature that their planetary spheres were further out. It's completely dependent on factors of sect in your chart, whether or not Venus will act more benefic than Jupiter, or whether Mars will be more malefic than Saturn. So they're just a title really kind of based off of the positions of the planetary spheres. Right. 
And um, I have written here, Jupiter can be euphoric, enhancing, invigorating, aggregating, and stimulating. Jupiter transits can be hyperactive, explosive, or cumulative even. Um, there's just a lot of energy and that energy can go in a lot of different ways. Um, you kind of have to learn how to wrangle it in um, instead of it just kind of sweeping you up off your feet and carrying you along. Um, I, ha I also have written here that Jupiter is a relationship between theory and knowledge. Um, so any widespread observable influence that cannot quite be proven is considered knowledge. It can't be proven, but it can't be disproven. So example, like the theory of gravity. Um, Jupiter, if, if Mercury were to ask the question, why is the sky blue? Jupiter would give the answer because it always has been. You know, like it's just this understanding that things are the way they are because that is how they are. And you can spread this knowledge, you might poke at it a little bit, but there's not always a concrete, like tangible thing behind it. Like the theory of gravity, we can't prove gravity. We can't disprove gravity. We just know it's there and we're not doing anything to try and change it. Yeah. Um, I think there's a great um, dichotomy between Mercury and Jupiter here. And even kind of understanding through the spheres where like Mercury is going to be what relates our sun and moon. Venus is going to be our desires, what we want to go out and achieve in the world. Mars is going to help us go and initiate that. Jupiter steps in and that's where we have to, okay, we have a desire, we have a question, we have, we're ready to kind of step out into the world. Jupiter is that first step to engage with other people or to engage with the external world like that. So in a way, Jupiter represents those um, the navigation through the physical life outside of the physical body. So in a way, Jupiter can kind of be like the aggregated wisdom that Mercury kind of goes around and collects over time. So Saturn, on the other hand, kind of represents the discipline that we develop from the wisdom. So it's like, we, okay, we make the lesson, or we have a lesson, we make a mistake. And that's Jupiter, right? Like we have the knowledge that if I do this thing, and I screw up that if I do it again, well, the same thing's going to happen again. Saturn is like having the discipline to be like, okay, I've done this before. I'm not going to do it again. It's like Jupiter is just the knowledge and the wisdom of that, like a step further. And then Saturn is like actually following your own truth, like preaching and walking the truth. Right, exactly. So Jupiter is going to be this kind of immeasurable force that we just have and recognize, whereas Saturn is going to be fact and statistic, Saturn and Mercury together, you know, it's just going to be this concrete thing that you really can prove. Um, with that same analogy I had earlier today, like if Mercury asks the question, why is the sky blue jupiter would say because it is saturn would be able to tell mercury exactly why it's because blue light diffracts through our atmosphere and it's the smallest wavelength or the biggest something like that biggest and that's why it's picked up by the atoms and maybe if there were different atoms our sky might be green and so saturn has this degree of just like concrete and like assuredness to it yeah um you know, some of the other things I think about Jupiter is, and, you know, in relation to Saturn, Jupiter is kind of just this impulse to expand and grow, whereas Saturn is the force to kind of restrict and shrink, because, you know, Saturn is that final shell around the planetary spheres. So it is a symbol for the force that holds the whole solar system together in that way. 
And Jupiter is kind of that last layer that's kind of pushing out. And Saturn has to be that force that holds it all together. So, you know, when we're thinking of what this means, Jupiter is going to want to make you, you know, set your goals high. It's going to make you optimistic. Saturn is like the realist. He's going to be like a pessimist. It's going to be like, no, you know, why would you do that? You know, that's foolish. That's stupid. Saturn has the experience of seeing that reality is a little bit harder than most of us want it to be. Saturn is like coming to face, coming face to face with like the concrete, hard, kind of difficult reality that is human life, which is most of the time. The issue is that Jupiter has to come and kick in eventually to help us open our eyes and remember that there's so much more to life and kind of the awakening of that Jupiter is kind of what initiates um, you know, our quest in, in, in discovering a lot of this knowledge in many ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, quest is just like a great word for like Jupiterian energy. Um, Yeah, there. Yeah, the seeking something, even if you don't quite know what you might just be on a journey. Um, I, my mother is like, heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by Jupiter. And like, she just up and crossed the country, like more than once, like, just started a whole new life and like, didn't have like, she planned for it, she thought about it, but she didn't really care what she was leaving behind, because she wanted to see something new. Yeah, my mom has like four planets in Sagittarius and I can't tell you, I, I, I can't keep up with all the trips she's trying to plan. It's yeah. like, I thought she was in Alaska and then now she's in Florida. Like, it's funny how um, Jupiter gives in, Ju- Jupiter rules Sagittarius, by the way, but Jupiter gives that impulse to get out, explore the curiosity of wanting to travel and see the world. Um, it's just very um, interesting to kind of see how that, that quest mythology ties in with that because like the adventure is Jupiterian, but almost just as much as like the reward and the goal or like a treasure hunt, like the gold is kind of like just as much a symbol for like Jupiter in a way that um, the journey is as well. And I think that's a great analogy for life in a lot of ways. So, you know, whatever reward we're seeking at the same time, we have to remember that this whole journey is the reward too. And I think Jupiter is kind of a good analogy for that in like the quest idea. Definitely, definitely. And there can be some like tension with Jupiter and Mercury because Jupiter is so expansive. I want to go, I want to see, I want to experience it all. I don't care if I can't learn the language of this country. I'm going to go because it's going to be fun. Whereas like Mercury is like, no, like you should learn the language. It's like super cool. You should learn the history. You should learn the culture and the artifacts. Like, don't you want to make this food for yourself? And Jupiter's like, no. Like, I'm here for the experience Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's interesting too how jupiter is kind of like our like a guide or like a teacher in in some sense as an archetype because in vedic astrology um the name for the planet jupiter is guru which you know i think just says a lot about how they view what jupiter's function is in astrology um it's just interesting to think about how you know we uh, I guess like give um, or or project our own idea of like what a teacher or a guru is Um, but then the journey to realize that ultimately like we're our own guru and like Jupiter is like that's within us and then remembering well all the planets are within us you know that's really the journey of this whole of the ascension through the planetary spheres. Right absolutely Um, while I while I was actually like 
writing about this, like a little prepping for this episode, the word urantia popped into my mind. And for anybody who doesn't know, it's this, like, some people call it a modern Bible. This person, like, went through and wrote, like, a ton of things about the universe and their beliefs about spirituality and just the nature of the cosmos. And I just felt like that was such a Jupiterian event. Like, to have all of these visions and principles and then write a book anonymously and publish it and spread it in every place you possibly can used to leave it on like random doorsteps and just anywhere it could be given it was given and this was at a time when paper was kind of expensive like more expensive than today you know and so I just felt like that was such a Jupiterian event like I have this idea, I have these beliefs, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to spread it with everybody. So teaching might not be like, I'm a teacher, and you're a student. Teaching can just be, I'm going to share this knowledge, because I think people should know. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I don't care if you think I'm wrong, but I have a voice, and it should be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another great um, set of terms for Jupiter and Saturn would be like utopia versus dystopia. Yeah. So like like you're saying this idealized perfect community and then this like super like corrupted um flawed system that would be like a Saturnian kind of world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Speaking um, of Saturn and dystopia, did you kind of want to bridge into there? Was there more you wanted to say about Jupiter? Uh, I was just going to say about Jupiter as well, like the theme of um, like modesty versus extremity, because as we were saying, Jupiter's nature to kind of expand things can go too far. And I think for some of us right now, feeling this Jupiter and Pisces transit, um, seeing how things are kind of getting blown up, you know, so you know, in terms of currency and, you know, this also has to do with a couple of other transits we're getting right now, like with the nodes, but I think just in general, the idea of having the planet that kind of makes things grow on like turned all the way up right now, um, we're seeing that play out in a lot of different ways, things just getting amplified and that can go too far. And so Jupiter's balanced or tempered nature is kind of going to guide us more towards modesty as opposed to going into the extremes. Right. And I feel like Venus kind of ties in with that as well. Um, Venus creates, it doesn't just like grow. And to create something, it takes a lot of like fine tuning and details. And Venus is besieged right now. She Mars is right up under her and she's going to hit the wall of Saturn. And so we have less control over creations and things like that things are just growing and exponentially multiplying around us Mm -hmm. wherever pisces is in your chart whatever house it's in if you have any planets there take a look and i'm sure you will see that these themes have been activated time and time again Mm -hmm. yeah um i was also just going to say like with jupiter and like the whole expansion thing in the way that he makes us optimistic that can go just as far And it can make us wear like rose colored glasses and being um, sometimes either consciously or unconsciously perceiving something um, that is just totally um, out of the box or like just living in our own bubble, being in our own world. Like that's totally Piscean to just be very drowned out and tuned out of reality and be exploring a fantasy, you know, and I think Jupiter is able to like extract us in that way. 
Right. And contrarily, like Sagittarians may not be exploring a fantasy, but they might be exploring themselves and their desires. Pisces might create a little dream world. Sagittarians are like, how can I make my world better? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I think that just has to speak to like Sagittarius as a masculine, like an active sign and Pisces as a feminine. So Sag is going to like go out into the world and be like, how can I teach? How can I grow? And Pisces can be like, it's going to absorb that Jupiter into the internal world. So it's going to want to, you know, absorb new creative visions or even like higher levels of consciousness and meditation and connecting to like, you know, whatever is, you know, your picture of the highest, like that's what Pisces is going to be. It's an internalized form of that expansion of Jupiter. Absolutely. Um, And so also in tarot, Jupiter rules over the card, uh, the wheel of fortune. And so in a way, Jupiter is also playing into this idea of our fate and our fortune being like a wheel that's always turning. And sometimes it's heading up and sometimes it's going down. And Saturn is kind of like this kind of central stoic idea where it's going to be the center of that circle where, you know, there's a middle point that's not moving. And Saturn is kind of seeking the balance in between the movement and all of the karma of the world that's getting shifted around. The question is like, how can we centralize ourselves to be neutral to whatever's happening to us? You know, the Stoics believed in just being um, like literally just as neutral as possible to say, okay, my karma, my transits are good right now. That's great. But, you know, they were astrologers too. So they would look ahead and they knew things were going to be bad and they would meditate and pray to be able to stay resilient and strong through the hard times, just as the good times. Right, right. And the wheel of fortune is just like the cyclical nature of time and life also. And I mean, Jupiter is the the biggest planet. It has like the second most mass in our solar system compared to the sun. And its surface is extremely turbulent. Mm -hmm. And Saturn too, but in a very, very different way. Jupiter has these storms that break out of the lines that we can see and go and disturb the others. The big red spot is huge. It's like the size of Texas. And that's just this massive storm. And something else about Jupiter um, and just the physicality of the planet um Jupiter also literally has like the gravity to every once in a while debris will leave Saturn's rings and go hurtling towards Earth and Jupiter's gravity will just like absorb that debris and I think that that is like not even just Saturn just other asteroids or not asteroids meteors and like comets stuff like that that pass through our solar system jupiter has protected earth from countless of them yeah i never even thought about or considered that but that's really interesting yeah and i i think that speaks to the nature of the planet in such an explicit way right like when we talk about how jupiter gets activated in your chart like that's when the universe is going to be like Jupiter is going to be your guardian angel, you know, holding the meteor back, you know, holding the fire and the storms and the chaos back in your life so that you can, you know, have a breath of fresh air. That's really what a Jupiter, a nice Jupiter transit will feel like at least. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Are you ready to move on to Saturn? I am. All right. Do you want to introduce it for us? Yeah, um, I can do that. Can we cut? Yeah. 
Sorry, my my now it's my turn. My mine is tweaking. Okay. 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 All right. I'll just reset. Okay. Okay. So are you ready to head into Saturn then? Yeah, absolutely. Saturn is patient and Saturn has been waiting. Yeah. Um, Wanna introduce it for us? Yeah, I have written here. Um, Saturn is experience, era, patience, age, time boundaries and boundedness, structure, loss, and limitation. Saturn is authority, law, principle, and foundation. And Saturn is just very, Saturn might be the teacher who sits there and stonewalls you as you try and scramble for a reason to for why you got this assignment turned in late. Saturn just sees through any Jupiterian energies and can pierce right through that. Saturn is very contained and responsible and can be pretty difficult when it's, it can be pretty difficult to manage. Yeah, I mean, thinking of some of the words you brought up there, like the first thing that always comes to my mind when thinking about Saturn is literally his rings because this planet literally has like this visual constriction around it that we can see. And if that doesn't speak more to the nature of Saturn as this force that creates a boundary or creates a wall or creates a constriction or a restriction of some kind, then I don't know what does because it's just so clear how Saturn's force is to make a boundary like that. Literally, visually, it's the last one we see. And also, I mean, if you've ever felt a hard Saturn transit, um, I haven't had many, but I've had a few and I know they're not fun. Yeah, um, Saturn also wears a crown and Saturn has a hexagonal crown. So on top of the rings that represent limitation and boundaries, we have this hard edged structure, completely anomalous to anything we've ever been able to witness within not only our solar system, but other planets. We've never seen something that has corners or looks like it has corners. And that crown is just right there. And I think that, that also speaks to Saturn being such a powerful and just imminent force and being structured and ordered at the very core, at the very top, at the center, and then also all the way out into the rings. Yeah, I mean, it's just clear. I mean, Kronos was Jupiter's or Zeus's father. So this guy had the final say. And in a way, even though like we talked about the moon as kind of filtering all of the energies from the planetary spheres and collecting them and kind of distributing them onto earth, Saturn is overseeing all of that from the top. So even though the moon is kind of the one actively interacting with everyone here, Saturn is looking down from above and seeing everything that's going on down below. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, backtracking a little bit to your comment about Saturn transits, Saturn transits are usually described with like some kind of darkness. And I agree with that. I mean, Saturn is pretty dim and it's very far. It's the limits of what our eyes can pick up, except for Uranus once in a blue moon. Um, 
but I also think that Saturn is coupled with silence and not just like a quiet morning where you can hear birds chirping. I'm talking about the kind of silence that is absolutely deafening, the kind of silence where you can hear your heart beating in your ears and your clothes crinkling with every movement. And Saturn kind of strips you of your senses or at least your understanding of them. And it like helps you realize where you stand Mm -hmm. get rid of all of the noise you need to listen to your thoughts you need to listen to your heartbeat and your life force you can hear your movements and you need to get an idea of how you're moving where you're going what you're saying what you want and what you don't want and to have all of those questions kind of highlighted in almost every area of life like or whatever area Saturn transits through. It's just a very, very challenging thing to have your beliefs challenged in such a way and your self-perception and understanding just really challenged. Yeah, I mean, Saturn is the force of basically death in the universe. So Saturn is going to rule over um, every belief that you have, it's going to be challenged and then it's going to be overcome and filled in with something new. So the difficulty of having to continually die and regenerate yourself and the whole theme of our continual growth over our, our lifetime, um, that's really so Saturnian in this idea of um, being able to demarcate like a period of your life where, you know, you do something one way and then all of a sudden something changes and, and it switches And in a way, I think that kind of relates to Saturn ruling astrology in some ways, because Saturn does rule time. And along with the moon, they both kind of, I think, rule over the mechanics of um, the planetary spheres and how that eventually filters down to us on Earth and how we experience that. Um, But the interesting thing about it, you know, ruling over death is really that Saturn is like this singularity that forces us to experience the ego death or like the death of ourselves because ultimately that's what everything is heading towards and so over our lives we're going to have these really difficult experiences that put us right into contact with that singularity that essentially dissolve our entire sense of self and that is how Saturn really acts as a gateway into what is beyond because this is what Saturn symbolizes as the final planetary sphere. It's the gateway into the eighth sphere, which is the sphere of the fixed stars and the constellations. And so we have these really dark Saturnian difficult experiences that make us need to pierce the veil to understand why we're experiencing such difficult events in life. And, you know, it, as a reward, it gives us this, that glimpse into the eighth sphere, into the true mechanics of what's going on. And so that allows us to kind of come back down to earth and just redo this journey all over again. Right. And so like Saturn tests and trials are going to be like a pop quiz, no notebook. Like you have the skills and experiences that you've had so far. All of that is going to be tried and you're going to have to explain why. And this ties in with what I was saying earlier about how Jupiter is just like, oh, the sky is blue because it always has been. Whereas Saturn is like, this is the reason the sky is blue. Saturn forces you to answer your own questions without the aid of your environment or what is familiar, what you already know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in a way it acts as a mirror in that way. And we talked about how the moon is kind of like a reflector of the sun's light, but Saturn is kind of like the um, 
like this alternate polarity to the sun because it's like the sun and the moon have their own like polarity archetype but also the sun and saturn operate in the same way where it's kind of like they're both black mirrors in a way for reflecting like the deepest layer of something to um see itself um have this existential question of like what am i looking at what am i experiencing and then having some kind of like spiritual revelation out of that experience i think those are both um, ways we can kind of look at what the dynamic is going on between either the sun and the moon or more uh, potently or more notably that um, connection between the sun and Saturn. And what's really interesting to think about is like we do this ascension, descension through the planetary spheres every year. So on the zodiacal wheel, as the sun goes through a new sign, it's continually moving through Mercury sign, Venus's sign, the sun's sign, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. And so when we reach Saturn signs, we're at the depth of winter, the coldest time of the year, the time of, you know, the least amount of daylight. And then after that point, we come back up, or at least we make our way back down. So we hit Aquarius and Capricorn and Aries, which is where we are right now. Um, or I'm sorry, I skipped a few. Aquarius, Pisces, Aries. And so, you know, this is the reemergence into seeing the light again, into heading towards the summer solstice, which is when we make our way back to the luminaries. And so we're going through this process of ascending and then descending the planetary spheres every year. Right, exactly. And I think that Saturn's clean slate, like kind of deal where it just strips you down to bare bone can be a really, really good way to help rebuild yourself back up. Um, back to the hurricane analogy, Hurricane Katrina, the reason that was so detrimental is because the levees all around Louisiana were so old. And it was not news that it would just take one like really strong natural disaster to wipe them out. But state and city governments just were not putting money to towards the infrastructure. After Hurricane Katrina came through and wiped out all of those levees, the government put the money in and invested into building really, really nice, really strong, resilient ones. And so Saturn will test your structures. And if they collapse, it's gonna suck. It's not gonna be fun. But you are being given the opportunity to start from scratch. Whereas Mars like might kind of like stir up a mess and then leave you with the mess to clean up whereas yeah. Saturn like, will stay with you until you pick yourself up off the floor and fix it yourself absolutely absolutely and like I said you know we kind of all feel that every year in a way going from summer to winter but you know on the biggest scale Saturn like we said at the beginning takes 30 years to go around so when he makes his first loop and when we have our first Saturn return that's our first time of experiencing this cold, hard singularity that is going to force us to step up on our own two feet and claim responsibility for where we're at in our life. And if we're not already on course heading towards what we need to be doing, Saturn is going to stick with your ass until you're on top of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Saturn is inevitable and infallible, you know, like Pluto, Plutonian, like death and rebirth is more like a phoenix coming from the ashes. It's like the event itself, but Saturn is this cycle, it, the cycle in the whole, like this is going to be where you start, where you go, where you end. The, the seedlings 
are born, they grow into trees, the trees fall, the leaves fall from the trees, and then they're eaten by like whatever, whatever fungus and bugs and whatever it may be. It's a whole cycle of life and death. And death produces life. Death feeds life. Death feeds birth. And they, it, they tie into each other. And Saturn is the tie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Saturn, Saturn rules the skin too. Like Saturn keeps you as like a person and not just like this like fleshy blob of organs. Like, I don't know. I don't it's know. It's interesting because Saturn re- uh, rules both layers because like he rules the bone and like the hard part, like the skeletal system, but also the container that keeps it all together, like our skin. So it's interesting how it's kind of the innermost and outermost layer too. And Honestly, just thinking of that, it makes me think of the whole Moon-Saturn connection because when we're talking about, you know, ascending the planetary spheres, going up to Saturn, coming back down to Cancer and the Moon, and that's the summer, the peak of the light, and then it transfers back. So there's always this cycle running. And if we think even about like the planetary hours that are running each day, it goes in, you know, the heptazone, the Chaldean order. So it's going Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, Moon, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars. So it there's this connection in between the Saturn uh, moon piece that is resetting the cycle every time. And I think that just speaks to this really interesting connection between the moon and Saturn, because both of their cycles are kind of built and encoded around like the number 28. And the moon cycle is 28 days and Saturn cycle is around 28 years. We've been rounding saying 30, but it's a little bit closer to around 28. And so they have this symmetry in the length of their cycles that I think is really um, elegant because when, you know, if the moon moves through one of its lunar mansions every day, um, then in 28 days, it will move through all 28 of them. Now, Saturn, on the other hand, if he takes 28 years to go around, that means he'll go through one lunar mansion every year. And so there's this connection between the lunar zodiac, how Saturn's moving, if it's one solar revolution, that means now that the sun and Saturn have a connection in their cycles. And it's just the three of those planets are playing a super interesting dynamic with each other in the sky. And, you know, just looking at the order of the planets, we have Saturn, and then the sun is halfway through, and then the moon's on the bottom. So it's like they all make this symmetrical structure in the order and their geometries, the music of the spheres they're playing, it, it all works together. It's, it's right. Really yeah and i mean you could even say that the moon goes through her own cycles of death and rebirth every time there's a new moon and a full moon you know so there's definitely like something to be said there with that synchronicity and that overlay Mm -hmm. um while you were talking about that i was thinking about how you said that saturn saturn symbol is a scythe Mm -hmm. and what's interesting about that is that scythes are used to reap crops right? The crops are going to die if you don't reap them yourself. The suit as once winter comes, those crops are going to be dead. So Saturn kind of represents like you needing to get ahead of that. You need to reap your own crops before the world reaps them for you. And this is a little bit controversial, but I know that I'm I know that some people disagree, but I think that you can really like work on your Saturn and then it would make a Saturn return not as bad. And I think that 
recognizing your own faults and where you need to better implement your support can be a challenge because you have to look to a malefic and you have to admit that you are fallible, that your structure is not sound. And that can be hard for a lot of people to really recognize and integrate. But wouldn't you rather recognize that yourself than wait for it to be thrown in your face? Right. And, you know, this is such an important topic for the conversation because Saturn is so rejected because literally it's the dimmest planet. It's the furthest one out. It represents the deepest, darkest aspects of our psyche. It literally represents our shadow self. And all the time, our ego is working to ignore and repress that. And so if we're repressing Saturn, we're putting off facing it. And that means it's going to show up and it's going to suck. So if we can get ahead of ourselves and do shadow work, or if we can go in and reflect and talk to that part of ourselves and discover and dig into what it is that's holding us back, we can set ourselves up better for the future. Because I think there's a big issue with people. Um, and I, I had a thread about this the other week where it was just kind of about like, oh, I'm going to wait um, until this transit to start this like practice or whatever it is that we're putting off for a transit in the same way we're subconsciously putting out to ourselves that oh i can wait till i'm 30 until i have to get my stuff together and in a way right well okay i have i have a thought that i would like to say so um if, when it comes to something like that even in a more immediate sense Almost everybody listening knows what it's like to have procrastinated something and then have like all of the stress and just like chaos of like trying to get it done. Like there is nothing like waiting until it's the day of to start a huge assignment and it's 1150 and you're trying to make sure all of the ducks are in a row before you turn it in just watching each minute like slowly roll as you're we're like running out of time and so Saturn it's better to get ahead of Saturn and give Saturn the time that he needs to evolve and be integrated in the self because if not he will wipe you out yeah. and force you to do so mm -hmm. and honestly I think like just for me the best summation of this is just as above so below right all these forces that are out there are all inside of us. And so if we're rejecting anything externally, that just means we're sending out a projection because we're rejecting something that's inside. So the more we can just connect to ourselves and discover all the layers of our being, the more everything externally around us is going to shift to reflect our inner healing that we've done. So ultimately, all the planetary spheres, all those energies, malefic, benefic, whatever, it's all inside of us and we have to be open to accepting that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know. I don't know. I can speak from experience. When I first started getting involved in astrology, like I learned about some different placements I have and it was like really hard. Like I'm sure everybody has those things in their charts when they're new to astrology and they're like, oh my gosh, like I have this. Like, oh my God, that's terrible. But like, you can do things to remediate that and to get yourself on the path that you want to be. Mm -hmm. It's really cathartic, I think, to like kind of really in-depthly read through your placements for the first time because 
it's gonna act like a mirror you know that's what astrology is it's a reflection up there of what's down here so when we are when we let ourselves dive into those placements that we aren't happy about or wish were different um that's the best opportunity to tap into that feeling that we have inside of us and recognize oh shoot what is that that i don't like about myself what is that that i've been driving away what is that trigger that makes me repeat this cycle over and over and over again because at the heart of it it's going to be right there in your chart it's going to be a planet it's going to be an aspect it's going to be sitting right there when you face it head on you're going to realize how that trickles into all of your cycles that we can't get out of and obviously it's not easy to get rid of all that stuff but the sooner we can get into diving with it and sitting with it that's when we open up a space for radical healing really absolutely Radical healing is a really, really good way to say it. Mm -hmm. And you know, like when you, when you fall and you scrape your knee, or if you get like a bad burn, they have to debrief the wound. You have to put like hydrogen peroxide on there or something, and it's going to sting and it's going to hurt. Or if you get burned, like they have to go through with forceps and pull that stuff out of there. And so like, it's a very painful, raw process, but it allows for healing to be done not only faster, but better. You would rather have something heal completely and deal with a little bit more pain in the moment than have something heal haphazardly and just have, okay, that's fine. That's done. I can't take any more pain. Just cover me up. Right. Saturn is like having the maturity to rip the bandaid right off because the more you let it fester, the more chaos is going to create later on. And this speaks to what you were saying about procrastination. This speaks to what we've been saying about waiting until your Saturn return to get things in line. Saturn wants you to just take responsibility and act up now, because the more we let it sit, the worse it's going to get. And that lesson just doesn't change. That's just what Saturn is. And so as hard as it is to do that and implement that in all the different areas of life that we might see that wound festering, um, it's just so important to sit with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You would rather have a nice clean wound than a festering infected one. Right. And it's like at the same time, though, like Saturn still rules over like repercussions. Like it's going to hurt to rip off the Band-Aid, but like do it sooner because the repercussions won't be as bad later. Like the latent repercussions of delaying your Saturnian areas of life are going to be much much bigger than if you get it done sooner rather than later and wherever saturn is going to be in your natal chart or saturn ruled signs also those are going to be some key areas of life where you should really take the time and take the patience to understand and reflect on that area of your life because it will be brought up to you at some point in time and, you know, conversely, even Saturn can be a little bit too domineering at times. Saturn can be a little bit too critical. Saturn can be a little bit too planning. Somebody might not be able to live in the moment because they're so focused on preventing everything that could go wrong from right. happening. They Saturn want to fear too. Exactly. They want to plan. They want to get ahead. And Saturn is asking you to find that balance. And that is why Saturn does so well in Libra and just air signs in general is because it's easy for Saturn to balance. Saturn has the space to rearrange things and find the center mm -hmm. or conversely be the center instead of finding it. Yeah. 
Um, I think one of the last points I was thinking about making here was really how, you know, Saturn is the, for the sphere, the longest cycle, really represents the elder in that way. And also kind of like a cynic, you know, we were saying earlier how it represents just the cold heart and facing reality. And so, you know, this kind of elder archetype is going to be like, you can't do that. That's not how it's done. You know, what are all these new kids doing? Like, this is tradition. This is how it's been done. And so Saturn rules over literally generations. And in that way, it rules over um, like the knowledge of the past and what we've done. And so stepping out of that and not feeding into the tradition or not feeding into what's been done and not feeding into um, the fear of not letting go. Um, or I'm sorry, the fear of letting go. That's really where Mars kind of builds up enough courage for you to penetrate through Saturn and enter that Uranian layer, the eighth sphere. That's where new innovation comes in, new insight, new consciousness. Absolutely. And like Saturn and Mars together, like there is a reason that Mars is exalted in Capricorn mm -hmm. because Saturn gives Mars discipline and Mars does not have, Mars, Saturn gives Mars discipline and patience in a way that Mars normally doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And Mars also is motivated to initiate change and be a catalyst. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Dr. Olomi released this translation on his Patreon that said like, um, medieval astrologers described Mars and Capricorn as like a purring cat, like guarding a house. And I think it's just like this, this description of like an animal that's like ready to bounce, but it's like prepared, it's quiet, it's like knows what it wants to do. And then it's ready to like dart at something any minute. I think that's just a really interesting way to look at like that kind of temperament between having the gas of Mars and like the brakes of Saturn and having them balanced allows you to um, moderate the ways that you need to kind of get yourself out into the world versus like being too much in retreat because that's the other side of Saturn. Like we said, it's about fear. Feeding into too much fear can lead to depression or it can lead to anxiety or it can lead to us being so disconnected um, from life around us that we're so caught up in our mind or we're so caught up in our fear. Right, and just like missing out on experiences. You don't wanna be a turtle trapped in your shell because you know it's protective. Right. Like sometimes it's cool to go walk to the water's edge even if there might be an alligator in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, that, I think that that was a really, really good discussion. I am so glad we had this episode. I have been waiting. Any, any closing words? I feel like we really covered like a lot of it. Um, the last thing I was just going to say is like connecting Saturn and black holes and how they kind of represent like a void that is just sucking everything up eternally into like nothingness and not even light can escape. So it also is kind of feeding into that like darkness versus light polarity, the Saturn versus the sun. And also, in a way, we were talking before the episode about entropy and how this slow force um, that's bringing everything to um, like a thermostatic um, equilibrium in the universe. This is that slow Saturnian force to bring everything to coldness and dryness and eventually to death, which is really balanced. And in a way, you can kind of see why Saturn might be exalted in Libra, because it's the entropic force that's bringing everything to like a homeostatic balance and equilibrium. 
Right. And then like backtracking to Jupiter just a little bit, like Jupiter might be the reactions that are occurring that are producing this energy that is just slowly dissolving throughout the universe right, like because of Saturn. Yeah. Right. Like the sun is the opposite or a star is the opposite of a black hole. Right. So right. All the stars are like using this Jupiter to like produce, create, regenerate life. And these black holes are here sucking all the stars into nothingness. And the super interesting thing is that like a galaxy, which is like all these millions and millions of stars and star systems, a black hole is at the very center of a galaxy and all the stars are orbiting around a giant black hole. So in a way, when we were talking about the metaphor of the wheel of fortune and Saturn being this balanced point in the middle that isn't rotating or isn't getting caught up in the karma. Saturn is this force that's slowly driving the evolution of the whole system and eventually bringing it to nothingness. And really, that's what we're all heading towards. We're all heading towards the return to the unity point or to source consciousness, however you want to talk about that. Saturn is that final switch that's slowly bringing it all back into equilibrium. And I think that's a really interesting metaphor of understanding why Saturn is exalted in Libra. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And with that, I think we have said enough about Jupiter and Saturn. For, yeah, we yeah. could definitely go on. Yeah. <laughs> we, we could talk about this for ages. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this has been a really fun episode. Um, stay tuned for our upcoming episode on the outer planets. Oh, yeah. Even pushing it a little further. Mm -hmm. um, any concluding words? not really um i guess just like don't be afraid of saturn really but also like don't love jupiter too much because right. moderation balance with everything. right mm -hmm. you need to embrace saturn i'm so sick of all the saturn slander mm -hmm. like i know i might Saturn's be biased yeah like i know i might be a little bit biased as a day chart who like hasn't gone through a saturn return yet but like appreciate your saturn and like respect your saturn yeah and maybe saturn will treat you with a little bit more respect exactly. you know yeah it's a mutual relationship all right well thank you guys so much for staying tuned to the episode in episode three of the mercuranians podcast yeah. once again my name is stella and my name is cam and we will see you guys next week Absolutely. Mercuranians out. Happy stargazing. See you guys. Happy stargazing. <laughs>